It's the Wolfpack Live at Frankie's Eastside Gourmet and Italian Restaurant in Farmingdale, New York, featuring Big Sexy Kevin Nash, the bad guys Scott Hall, and the Bronco Buster himself, X-Pac Sean Waltman. VIP tickets are on sale Saturday, September 26th for amazing VIP packages starting at $75. Call 516-756-2753. Tell them the two-man power trip of wrestling sent you by using the code POWERTRIP NWO for a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It's Frankie's Eastside Gourmet, an Italian restaurant in Farmingdale, New York. 516-756-2753. It's going to be an event that's just too sweet. You might wind up in a body bag. They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by Meow Box. Meow Box is a cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And make sure you stay tuned a little bit later into the broadcast as we bring to you a very special promotion courtesy of Meow Box and just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling. With that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime, John Paz. And John, we have an absolutely jam-packed show from top to bottom, from A to the Z, as the Iron Sheik would say. And we're going to kick it off with somebody who I know you and I were dying to talk to. This was a fantastic get on your part. And that is the notorious 187 Homicide. And John, you and I have spent countless hours in a car driving back and forth to ROH shows over the years. Most recently in Baltimore, Maryland. And if we were going to be driving back and forth to those shows and I said to you, Hey, John, let's take us back in the time machine. We're in 2004 about, you know, about 10, 12 years ago, let's say, John, we're going to have a full-scale, in-depth conversation with Homicide and get to know the real Homicide. I think you would look at me like I had 10 heads now. Would you agree on that? And uh, thinking back on Homicide, boy, oh boy, what are your thoughts on this interview? You know, Chad, it's funny you, you say it like that, and it's basically we used to make all these rides, countless, countless rides to these amazing ROH shows, 10, 12 years ago. I mean, I feel like we've been to a couple hundred ROA shows, which is crazy to say, but it's definitely true. New York, New Jersey, uh, Philly, Connecticut, Baltimore, Maryland. I mean, we've been to a ton of Ring of Honor shows, and the centerpiece of a lot of those shows was, of course, the notorious 187 Homicide. And, you know, the way you preface it is pretty funny. Like, 10 years ago, if we were making these rides and going to all these ROA shows, 
Would you imagine us having an in-depth interview with uh, Homicide? Nope. I wouldn't have believed you for a second. I mean, it was just a, a joy and such a great honor to be able to interview him. Such a great interview. Sometimes with him, you got to get the impression, like like we talked about in the interview, he's a thug, he's a gangster, he's a little tough guy, he's not going to want to talk to you. But no, 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 not at all. He's such a great talker. He gave us so much great stuff, and it was just awesome to be able to talk to him, especially reliving some of those ROH memories that we had and, and been going to all those shows and just an amazing, amazing interview that we were able to get out of him. And it's kind of funny. Uh, we do we have some Yankee Met talk, which was great because he's a big Yankee fan, and obviously uh, I'm a big Yankee fan as well, and you're a Mets fan, so that was a fun little talk we had. I was talking about Gary Carter a little bit, which was cool, and um, it's funny how mellow he is because when you think about him in the ring and you think about his style and, and – uh, Obviously, he's a great worker, but he also is a great hardcore brawler as well. So it's funny that, you, you know, you uh, you think of him not as a mellow guy at all, and he really is a very calm, mellow guy. So uh, the character is more so different than, you know, the actual person that Homicide truly is. But what an interview, and, and I feel like we struck gold on this one because he was great. Yeah, the baseball talk was a huge highlight. I, I can't deny that. Just to sit here and talk about Gary Carter, who, of course, a shameful uh, plug here for myself, but I'm a huge Gary Carter fan, huge fan of the 86 Mets. Let's go Mets, by the way. 2015 could be our year, but that's besides the point. Homicide, a big baseball fan, but somebody else who's a big baseball fan is a former guest of our show, and that is Steve Carino, who has a very lengthy history with Homicide. And I know we've had Steve on before, and he gave us a really great take on the feud, and we're going to hear that right after we speak with Homicide, a little brief clip from a prior episode. But what's your take on the epic Steve Carino versus Homicide feud? Well, one thing I really, really, really wanted to talk about, and we obviously talked about it on prior interviews that we did with Steve Carino, would be the Homicide feud with Steve Carino. And if anyone out there hasn't seen any of that feud, you better go out of your way to watch some of it. Go to ROH and get the DVDs or whatever you got to do. But it was such an amazing, amazing feud. It's probably my favorite feud of the, the 2000s, probably the last 15 years or so, which is saying a lot. I mean, there's a lot of wrestling been going on, but there's been no feud that has been as good as them. I know a lot of people, especially on the Internet, they love Ambrose versus Rollins, but that feud doesn't even close to compare to Homicide Carino. I mean, the heat between them. They seem like they legitimately hate each other. It seemed like everything else in the card, uh, you know, that's just pro wrestling. It seemed like this is legit real. The heat is real. These guys don't get along. These guys hate each other. It was just such an amazing feud. Look at the barbed wire match. That match was awesome. The booking was awesome. Perfect. Then you go to a match that I was at. Bitter Friends, Stiffer Enemies, one of the greatest matches I've ever seen live, and that's a lot because I've been to a thousand shows, and Carino and Homicide, it's funny, probably should have been the main event of that card, but it wasn't, so putting it in smack dab in the middle of the card was just amazing, like, wow, this match is on now, and boom, Homicide smacks the living shit out of him, busts uh, Carino's eardrum, then Carino drops Homicide in his shoulder, severely injures his shoulder, I mean, it was just, the realism was awesome, the match was awesome, the feud was awesome, it was just so good, and I just couldn't wait to get some more of Homicide and Carino. And we get into it about how the bitter end wasn't the way they both wanted to end it, especially not Homicide. And how basically Homicide wants to have one more match against Steve Carino. And uh, I, you know, I, I know I speak for Chad as well. We would love to somehow book that match and get these two guys together because that it's such 
an amazing feud, and that would be such an amazing match. And I want to really cap off, and I know Homicide and Steve Carina do, they really, really, really want to cap off the feud the right way. So why not have the greatest feud of the last 15 to 20 years have one more go at it and one more a final encounter between Carino and Homicide? I'm all for it because i got to say that feud was freaking awesome. Oh, hell yeah. Awesome to say the least. We would love to be a part of putting that together in some way, shape, or form. Homicide versus Carino, the final encounter, the final chapter, the final showdown, whatever you want to say. Let's get it done. If we could, I would love to do that. It's time for that right now. But before we get to the second part of today's episode, which features Scott Lost, co-founder of PWG and a great comic book artist and talking about his great Kickstarter campaign. Let's take one more look at Homicide and the fact that he threw out there that this last run with TNA, he would have loved to have taken the beatdown clan and headed over to Japan to take on the Bullet Club. Now, the match possibilities are endless. That is without saying. But if you could look back on that and Homicide had high hopes for it, what are some of the things that you think could have come out of a Beatdown Clan, BDC versus the BC, the Biz Cliz, the Bullet Club. Yeah, you know what was really interesting is that we were talking about Japan. I mean, obviously, Homicide wrestled for Big Japan. He wrestled for Zero One. But it was really cool. We were talking about what's big in wrestling now. And Pro Wrestling Noah was big, and it kind of moved aside. Obviously, Misawa passed away, and other things have happened. And the emergence of New Japan Pro Wrestling has started, and obviously Okada is a god, Nakamura is a man, Tanahashi is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, and boom, New Japan is on a roll, and they're the hottest wrestling company in the world. Well, what else does New Japan Pro Wrestling have but the Bullet Club, the hottest faction god? I mean, since it's the hottest faction since the NWO. I mean, God, nothing has been able to uh, top the Bullet Club, and they were just dominating New Japan, obviously, with AJ Styles, Kenny Omega, Bad Luck Valet, Tama Tonga, who we talk about in depth, uh, the Young Bucks. I mean, just an amazing, amazing faction, just an amazing group. And it was funny to hear Homicide say that he wanted the BDC, the Beatdown Clan, to somehow reform, go to New Japan, and feud with them. Because, to be honest, I think that would be pretty awesome. I wish, obviously, Samoa Joe was in NXT or WWE, so we can get some Samoa Joe dream matches over there with some of the guys. But, God, I'd love to see uh, AJ Styles and Homicide go one-on-one again i'd love to see you know maybe uh some young bucks against uh, kenny king and homicide so there's so many matchups and so many possibilities and it's funny that he was talking about that because it shows you how much of a fan he is how much into wrestling he is how much he knows about what's good in the business and what's not and the bdc had a lot of potential and obviously the bullet club is just an absolutely amazing faction so it would be awesome and i know his hopes are high for it i don't think it's going to happen i wish it could BDC versus the BC in the Bullet Club, the Biz Cliz, would be cool if uh, if somehow New Japan could make it happen. Let's send it over to one of our favorite guests of all time. This is one of my favorite interviews that we've ever done. I just was absolutely loved it, being a huge ROH fan I was, and obviously I love this time at TNA. So just an amazing, amazing chat we had with the 187 Homicide. So without any further ado... I send it over to a former TNA X Division champion, a former TNA Tag Team champion, a former NWA Tag Team champion, and most importantly, a former Ring of Honor World champion. He is the notorious 187 Homicide. Please enjoy.
Mets, good for New York. I mean, uh, we, 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 we know about the Mets and the Yankees. We don't get along. Personally, I don't get along with Boston. I hate the city. I had crazy riots when I was in Ring of Honor just because we did show that Boston. So I got a little, you know, a vendetta becomes um, Boston. But New York, uh, the New York Mets, hey, man, I like Gary Carter. <laughs> oh, my God, are you serious? He's my favorite player of all time. Really? <laughs> Uh, yeah, without a doubt, he's legitimately. I, John knows it. My my all time favorite sports icon, of course, next to Homicide. But that's you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty awesome for both. Uh, the one thing I'm so confused: why the Hall of Fame um, picked Gary Carter as an Expos instead of a Met, and he did great with the New York Mets. Oh yeah, he had a ring with the Mets. Yeah. Well, you want to know the uh, you know the the fanboy knowledge part of it? He. See, Gary Carter, of course, being such a baseball purist himself, always wanted to be the only expo in the Hall of Fame. Ah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But he's no longer the only expo in the Hall of Fame. So it kind of goes back on. Yeah. I Um, I think, no, but as like wearing the cap, I, I don't know if it was they put Dawson it is an expo, but he was supposed to be the only expo up to that point that was in the Hall of Fame, and that's what he wanted to hang his hat on. Wow. Okay. Makes sense now. <laughs> All these years, I've been thinking why why Gary Carter is not a Hall of Fame for, for the Mets. Uh, hey. But you got people like Del Strawberry and and um, go and I respect their game, but a bunch of party animals, a bunch of cokeheads in, in their lifetime, so... And those guys are great, but come on now. you got to get some to give a respect. Oh, hell yeah. You're preaching to the choir on that, my friend. That is uh, that is my wheelhouse, Gary Carter and those 86 Mets. So, uh, hey, there's no better way to start than talk about the Mets. But if I can, uh, I'll just do uh, you know my little intro here for you, and we'll get rolling. Yes. All right. Well, joining us on the line tonight is a man who we're dying to talk to. He's one of our favorite performers of all time. He's a former two-time NWA Tag Team Champion. He's a one-time X Division Champion. He's a TNA Tag Team Champion, and of course, and we're going to learn a lot more about this, the former Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. He's the notorious 187. He is Homicide. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Oh, thank you for having me, man. Thank you for the knowledge and the history, man. I always love guys that learn their pro wrestling history, you know. Uh, but thank, thank, thank you guys Oh it's our pleasure And you're going to hear a lot about from us That uh, we were in attendance For a lot of that Ring of Honor history And I know my tag team partner on the line Is chomping at the bit To get into that But before we get into all the history stuff Let's talk about the semi-history Semi-present stuff And that was just your last thing here With TNA uh, Impact Wrestling how was it going back there? What was your thought of, uh, thoughts on the BDC and uh, what you did coming in there this last run? Well, at the beginning, like when the first time I went there, it was pretty awesome. Great guys. Um, uh, I was getting on with the staff. I'm talking about the camera crews, you know, the people like who, who write the books. But when Hogan and Eric Bishop came in, and I got great respect for, for Eric Bishop. He's a small businessman. Hulk Hogan, he's like the big move. Uh, pro wrestling. You can hate him, you can love him, but you got to respect what he did back in the days. But when they came in, everything just changed. And I was one of those guys, like, uh, I don't know if you ever seen Dave Chappelle, but he got the skit, it's called Keep It Real Goes Wrong. I was one yeah. of those guys. I was Keep It Real. 
but sometimes in the professional wrestling scene, especially in corporate wrestling, you need to play the game, meaning sometimes you got to be quiet, sometimes you got to be careful how you say things. I was just outburst. I didn't care. Um, I was just out there, and I didn't care. I get fired. I got released, and it felt like freedom, like I was a slave because when Hogan and Eric Bishop came in, it was just so different. A lot of people were so scared of their jobs. It was more like a puppet master kind of thing. And when I got released, it was just more of a freedom. Then I got woken up. I had people like the Dudley Boys, uh, Conan, my teacher, Manny Fernandez, was teaching me about the game, about the corporate wrestling, the way it is. And I look back, you know, I think maybe I did a mistake just going out there and just didn't care, man. I was like an outlaw, like a bandit. I didn't care. Now I'm getting older, and the way the wrestling industry, the way it is right now, you need to keep your job. Sometimes you you got to be quiet. Sometimes you just got to play along. But a lot of people, they're different when it comes to attitude. You know, I got respect for TNA, even though if they're doing bad, because I don't don't hear nothing from them no more. If they're doing good or bad, I got respect for them because I had a lot of fun with those guys. Yeah, and you know what, that BDC uh, seemed like on paper it had a lot of potential, and it just seemed like there was a lot of things going wrong with it, because, of course, you had the Samoa Joe, uh, you know, I wouldn't even say incident, but just a scenario where Joe and his contract expired, he's gone from TNA, you're back in, and then all the stuff that surrounded Hernandez, and Hernandez coming yeah. in, but he was still under contract to Lucha Underground. Like, what, What's your take on what actually happened with the BDC, where – a lot of potential and definitely a cool crew of guys, but damn, it just seemed like everything started to fall apart with you know what could have been like a really great faction. Yeah, um, me and MVP and Loki, we we go way back and we always talk. We oh, we love the Wu Tang Clan, the 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 Japanese culture of wrestling, even anything that comes to jiu-jitsu and just mix it up with the hip hop and wrestling. I made a joke. It was the Sam Roberts interview. And I say we like the Wu-Tang Clan of pro wrestling. And that joke became like, you know something? We should do something about that. There was myself, MVP, Samoa Joe, and Loki. And we just got together and put a blueprint. And we spoke to the management for TNA. And suddenly things was not going well. Is that because of the politics? It was more like, well, I got injured. I had a bad shoulder for nine years since my Ring of Honor days. So I was like more like a off and off kind of guy, you know. Then he had some more jokes that the guys from Connecticut, um, the WWE was looking at, and they gave him a great offer. So so many things just came out; it didn't fit very well. Um, I was joking around like we need to form like Toronto get together, but we didn't. We didn't <laughs> get together at all. So it was more like. That, that, that we went this way, we went to the east, west, southwest, and when things got a little hectic, we had people, our good friend Kenny King, I think he's the most underrated wrestler right now. We brought my former partner, LEX partner, Hernandez from Lucha Underground, coming to TNA. And, you know, and things then went very well, so we just kind of broke it off. But we feel in spirit, we still the beatdown clan. Um, inside the locker room, of course, now TV. And we wanted to make this bigger, so big that we go to Japan and face the Bullet Club because that is the hottest faction right now in pro wrestling. But, you know, things couldn't go very well these days. 
Yeah, um, that's just on paper. That sounds absolutely uh, amazing. And to think about the uh, not only just the, the team possibilities, but, you know, the one-off possibilities. Is there anybody from the Bullet Club that you would want in your perfect one-on-one match if that was to have come true? Oh, man, like, uh, I love AJ Styles, man. I've, I've faced AJ Styles so many times. Jackson himself and Christopher Daniels, uh, we have feuds with them with the LEX. The Young Bucks, man, they're another crew that just keep keep it real. You know, I like those guys. Um, I would say Tonga. You know, the the, the gentleman with the face paint because I know his brother. I used to train with him um, in the Dudley School at Kissimmee, Florida. Um, he's very talented, you know, and I like to face him because I think he's the one who's gonna just gonna break through. You know, after AJ, the Young Bucks. And all the guys in the group, I think Tonga is the one that's going to break through. Now, obviously, you I mean you've had some great matches, and you mentioned some great matches you had in AJ, especially in Ring of Honor and TNA as well. But one guy I just got to jump to right away because it's one of my favorite feuds of all time, and we actually had him on, and we were talking about this, and that's you versus Steve Carino from Ring of Honor. It's got to be up there. If it's not one of my favorite feuds of all time, I mean, it might be my favorite. It's just amazing. Was there legit heat between you guys? What was the deal with you? Yeah, it started It started in Japan. Um, I was with Big Japan Pro Wrestling, and Loki was one of my students who was telling me, you had to come to Zero on Pro Wrestling. This is a company of Hashimoto. And, of course, Steve Carino was like maybe the underboss of the Americans. So I went there. Um, I did had a, a good tour. Was, I heard so many he says, he said. And back in the days, like maybe in the 90s, um, I don't know if you remember this. I started out with George O. Pro Wrestling, and we had a couple of guys from different territories, but it became like a clique, like a state. I had my New York clique. That he had New Jersey. The New Jersey clique was Reckless Youth, Matt, Mike Quackenbush, Don Matoya. Then you had the Pennsylvania, that according to Philly crew, you had people like Trent Acid, Nick Burke, you know, and Steve Carino was part of that. And there was a bunch of rumors that Steve Carino was like, oh, those guys from New York, they're too stiff. They don't know how to work. They're garbage wrestler. And I was, at the time, moment, I was very sensitive because there was, it was, I had people laughing at me that I'm too small. I'm never going to be a wrestler. Then you got these play haters from Jersey and Philadelphia trying to down us, and I didn't like that at all. So I remember one day me and him was in a ring of the locker room, and I just straight out, I don't like you. I really don't like you. I don't care how talented you are. I just don't like you. And the promoter seeing that, I guess he liked He got that. Paul Heyman attitude, like, wow, I want to be, I want to bring that realistic to the wrestling ring and to see, you know, the people, what's going on. And I'm an old school guy, you know, I believe in that. Mini Fernandez, he told me very well, so I just, I just went through it. And I remember it, I hit him so hard that he got, he's actually deaf one year, and um, I had surgery recently on my shoulder. Because I did a suicide dive, and basically he didn't call me. <laughs> so it was something that the feud was going too far. But, you know, we got kids, and I'm actually cool with his kid. His name is Kobe Carino. I'm very cool with him. So 
in my my mind, I could kill this guy. Like I could break his legs if I want to, but I don't. I got too much respect. He's a good father. You know, he's a good wrestler. I just like the politics. That's that's something I'm very passionate about. You know, I'm very when it comes to politics, I, I really hate it. I don't want nobody come to my to my circle and think they know it all. If you don't know your facts, just shut up. Just go your way and I go my way. If you leave it like that. But I said that we cool, but it's one of those attitudes. Be like Dusty Rose and Terry Funk attitude. I don't know if you ever see their few back in the days, but that's the way we are. Oh, yeah, very, very similar to where, you know, you really don't like each other outside of the ring, but inside the ring you guys can have tremendous matches. and It's so real that literally I was in the building that night uh, with Bitter Friends, Stiffer Enemies in Connecticut. You slapped the living shit out of them. And broke yeah. his eardrum, legitimately broke his eardrum. He couldn't, you know, he, like you said, he was deaf. It was plastered around the world. And it was probably one of yeah. the best live matches I've ever seen. So it was great that you guys were able to have these amazing matches, but also they're like legit. He, we're, we're, me as a fan was thinking, I turned to my friend, I said, is this like legit real? I mean, because, you know, these guys definitely hate each other. But do you remember, yeah. besides the slap, do you remember that being such a... Oh, it was like, I that was the, maybe the... Maybe my first match in Ring of Honor that I had people, the big timers out there, saying like, "Wow, this, these guys got legit." But especially Homicide, because everybody thinks I'm a gangster thug, the raw people, and all this crap rumor. And when they see that, they're like, "Wow, this guy knows his game. He studied the game. He took his composure and, and put it somewhere else." And I remember after I was very sore. I had like about six stitches in my head. I had like maybe a crack rib, you know, and it was war. It was it, that I hated that day. I'll be honest. With you, I really hate that day, but that day kind of made me was that magic. So it was pretty cool. Also on the kind of a retail mode. That was awesome. And then the barbed wire matches, another just fantastic, great match. But do you like how the feud ended at the, at the bitter end over in Philadelphia? It kind of had a weird ending to it. Did you like how it all went down to end it? Uh, I did not like it. I really did. And uh, I was telling Kobe Corrino like maybe months ago to your daddy that that, that wasn't the last time. I don't know when it's going to happen. I know he's doing commentating. He thinks it's Jesse Vantera doing commentating Ring of Honor, but he's going to have one more match. And before I leave this this wrestling game, I'm going to have one more match with him. But I didn't like it. I really didn't. I don't know what it was that it wasn't there. You know, in the end, and I was talking to a couple of promoters, and it was like, I don't know, that magic, that it, it wasn't there. This is not the end. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, the head shaving was, like, very symbolic and everything else, but it was, you know, certainly a weird ending. And, and Carino, because we asked him, that he liked the end of the feud, he basically said the same thing. He just did not like the way the feud ended. I think it should be one more match. No, it should be. And, and hopefully it'll be way better than that Philadelphia match. You know, I mean, I got, look, man, I got respect for the promoter putting us together and, you know, be part of the of that show. But, man, that, that match wasn't that good. You know, it, it should have been better. I think the next time it's going to be better. I can't wait to see a possible last match between you guys. I mean, that would be awesome. I would love to book it if I could somewhere, somehow. But there's another guy that you wrestled in Ring of Honor that you eventually beat for the Ring of Honor 
world title in New York City. It was an amazing moment, an amazing match, and you guys had an amazing feud. I distinctly remember a best-of-five series you guys had where every match just was better than the other. It was just amazing. But Brian mm-hmm. Danielson, what is it like working with Brian Danielson, a.k.a. Daniel Bryan? It was more like vanilla, like no personality, but for some reason, uh, I guess the older he got, the more years he got comfortable, especially with me because I'm the one who, who brought that little flavor, that little color. And I remember one day he, he got on the microphone and he said his finisher will be a small package. He, I don't know if you remember, and he was mm-hmm. saying, like, oh, my name is Mr. Small. Every time he does a small package, package, everybody goes crazy. I was like, this fucking guy got it. He got it, you know, and the fuse that we had, you know, it was more like like a guy from Brooklyn versus a, a, a farmer boy from Washington, and I want to ruin his life and career, but uh, other than that, man, he's a very great technical wrestler. He's a good guy, too, man. If people say, screw Brian, I hate him. You got issues. You got a big problem. He's one of those guys that is very lovable in the back. Like, everybody respects him. You know, I feel so bad with his injuries. He should be on TV. As a matter of fact, he should be the world heavyweight champion in WWE. You know, but things happen when it comes to injuries. But our few, man, especially that New York City show, oh, man, it was it was a big-time uh, party. It was a big party. That's one of the greatest Halloween that I've ever had in my career. That was an amazing match and an amazing culmination of you, quote-unquote, you know, leaving Ring of Honor and coming back and beating for the title. So that was really, really a great time for ROH. But did you feel like almost as if your title reign was cut a little bit short? Because I believe it was about two months later, uh, Takeshi Morishima actually beat you for the title. Did you feel, you know, with Gabe and everything else, that your title reign could have been a little bit longer? Yes, I, I, personally, I didn't like it at the time. But you know, like I said, the older I get... I understood, and if you think about it too, I was the first person to put that flag on international wrestling. There was no Japanese wrestler coming to Ring of Honor, so basically, me losing that belt, it kind of gave Ring of Honor a big, a big uh, flag to go to Japan for Noah at the time. Now they're doing things with New Japan Pro Wrestling, who is the number one company in Japan. I didn't like it at all, but I think for business wise, it was good. You know, um, I'm just happy that I was part of that history. Hey, think about it. After that, obviously, Misawa came in, and uh, Kenta was a full-timer after that, then Marafuji, and, of course, Kobashi, who fought Samoa Joe. So it was pretty good, you know, that it actually ended up leading to something. But uh, speaking of Samoa Joe, you and him, another guy, you guys just clicked. Every match you guys had was intense. Every match you guys had was good. What was it about you and Samoa Joe? You guys just had great chemistry together. It was just like he's like one of my downhole best friends. And um, I just remember he was in some kind of a bar, a club, and he was fine low key. And they went at it, broke his fingers and everything. He came to me, and I was with Julia Smokes. And I don't, know, I don't know what it was. It just came to me, hey, what's up? How you doing? I'm from the West Coast. I heard about you from Brooklyn. And we just clicked right away. And it was just more that uh, I seen Joe coming from the West Coast, going to a, a environment of people from the East Coast. Um, just don't—he just want to show his talent, you know. At, before at that time, he was going to Japan, but he wanted to do more stuff, and he became one of the most 
uh, decorated best heavyweights champions of Ring of Honor, and that made him the way he's at right now. Like right now is the NXT, and he's going to be on the main roster, and hopefully he will be in Dallas, Texas for WrestleMania because that's one of those guys that definitely deserve it. And me, him, I don't know what it was. It was just that, like me, Karina, was that magic. He smacked me, and it's like pulling that trigger. I smacked him back, and we just go at it. You know, it's almost like I bring that fire to him. You know, like I would tell people, like, joking around. I'm like Joe Pesci from Goodfellas. He's small, but I bring that fire, and he knows it, too. And he can tell you that, yeah, homicide, for some reason, he always brings that fire. He's, like, maybe the toughest guy that ever wrestled because – for some reason, our music hits, we in the ring, we just, everything is just real. You and Smoke Joe, I mean, that's awesome. And then I feel like every guy you wrestled in Ring of Honor, and it was, and it was so unpredictable because you, you never knew with Gabe's booking, like, who you're going to feud with next or this and that, but you always knew you put Homicide in there and he's more than likely going to have a really, really good match and a really good feud. And I felt like you and CM Punk, you know, had a lot mm-hmm. of great matches. What did you yeah. think of Punk then, and what do you think of Punk? But then, he was just a guy, just like Joe, another guy from the Midwest, from Chicago, with Hulk Cabana, and trying to make a name for himself. The man had talent. The man could talk to the microphone. I just knew that he was going to be a star. I mean, he just caught me by surprise that he was going to become a, a WWE champion. I, to this day, I, mean, I always like want to choke him to death because he called me one day. He said, like, hey, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm chilling, just watching Yankee baseball. I said, hey, you should be here, Master Scott Garden. I just defeated Roberto Dorio for the WWE Champion. And he knows how I get with that because that was one of my goals is to wrestle MSG. So he was being an asshole. But that's Punk. <laughs> punk is the king of assholes. And I told someone this a long time ago, like, a lot of people don't like him, but he's one of those guys that, don't forget where you came from. That's one of my cardinal rules. Like you could be successful, which and I don't care. Just don't forget where you came from. Your town, your boys, anything. And he he still calls me, and right now he's doing UFC. I'm hoping he does great. I know he needs a lot of boxing lessons. I hope he's doing good with somewhere in Green Bay or whatever he's training at. But I think he's gonna do good, especially he's training with the Gracies. But that dude, man, like he—he's an asshole, man. But he's a cool asshole. That—that's what he is. <laughs> that's uh—that's definitely the you know thing that I've heard about Punker. But I got to talk about one specific moment in ROH because the building was absolutely jam-packed that night in Philadelphia, and they went absolutely insane. You basically quote unquote saved the company from CZW. It was Cage of Death. And, you know, you basically turn the tide in, in the favor of Ring of Honor, and ROH ends up beating CZW that night in the case of death. But what are your, you know, recollections and memories of that moment? Because that was one of the loudest heard in Ring of Honor, which is yeah, you know, saying something. Yeah, to this day, I, I'm still surprised about it. I had that Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. But I was hyped up, man. I didn't want to be part of that angle, the story with the CZW Ring of Honor. Um, I don't know what it is. I just don't want to be part of it. And, you know, it wasn't that people was begging for me. It, it was one of those, just screw it, let's, let's just do this. And I remember Jerry Cornell was on board, and he was helping. And, and you had people like 
J.G. Dillon coming to Philadelphia, and that's the one thing about Secrets on Me. I'm a huge mark of the NWA. I love J.G. Dillon, Jim Cornette, all those guys, you know. And when I heard that me and Jim Cornette was going to do a storyline, I was very excited. Then I heard, yeah, J.J. Dillon is going to be at some kind of a special enforcer. Now, I'm thinking to myself as a fan, like, wow, this is a cage. This is like the wall games, but the year 2004 or five or whatever. And not only that, the, the wall games was for the four horsemen. And J.J. Dillon is the original horseman. So he's going to be part of this cage of death as the special enforcer. Like, I was really hyped, and that's when I told the promoter, he got me, and I'm going to be here. They told me, okay, you know, Dylan Bryson, American Dragon, and Simone Joe, they got something, something. But after they done, you come out and save the company. And I remember my music hit, and, I, man, that was one of the loudest ovations. I was like, God damn, seriously, this is awesome, man. And J.J. Dillon was there. I did my thing. In the ending, me and Jim Cornette, we went at it, and that kind of built up, like, my end, my toys of our end of career of Ring of Honor when I brought Conan and, you know, we had, like, a little feud. But it was so, it was also, it was, like, one of those best matches i ever had in my career. That was awesome, and that was such an amazing moment and such an amazing pop. It was great. And eventually, you know, obviously you mentioned you you tattooed with Cornette a bit, and then, you know, obviously they brought back Carino and a little bit of Adam Pierce there, but you got a chance to work a lot with, even more so then, with the Briscoe brothers. What are your thoughts on uh, Mark and Jay Briscoe? Because they're still, uh, you know, dominating the scene over in Ring of Honor today. Well, um, I hate them in wrestling, but they're like the coolest guys inside, behind the scenes. Like, those are the guys that... You know, I got their back to anything, especially their family. They know it, too. And wrestling, I, I hate them. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> I don't know, they remind me two racist farmer boys. They just, they just want to kill Latinos. and But they're not really like that, you know, it's that image. But they, they, they should be, not saying that they should be bigger where they are right now because I really don't know where is their business mind when they want to go, if they want to go to the WWE or New Japan, but they they deserve everything what they get right now. Like they are the originals since day one. They never left Ring of Honor, and those guys deserve everything what they get. If they're gonna give them the highest paid contract, they deserve it. If those guys become like the twentieth goddamn tag team and pass the belly, but they deserve it. Those are the kind of guys that you need in your team. And it's the Briscoe brothers. I had many feuds with them, man. And I went home very sore. They they no joke. But that's another team that should be part of uh, of history. Just like guys like the Young Bucks or the Bad Edition, you know, the, even the old school, like the Road Warriors or the Samoa Swat team, they, they should be on that on that history books right now. And they, they, they're still doing it. They, they're not quitting. They're not even thinking about quitting. So it's more to come for those damn redneck thugs. Yes, definitely, definitely. Now, you obviously, we kind of touched on it. You brought in Conan. You left uh, for TNA for a little bit, but you kind of came back uh, between 2010 2013. Uh, you came back quite a few times, and you actually challenged Kevin Steen, a.k.a. Kevin Owens, when he was the ROH world champion at a time. 
Did you see, mm-hmm. you know, him being able to make it into the WWE? And did you see a lot of potential from uh, Kevin Steen? I really did. That really caught me by surprise, and not because that that he's really a bad guy. He's really not. He just that's not the guy that deserves it the way he gets. But at the time, the WWE, the the masters of the puppets at the time, care about bodybuilders, guys who got twelve packs. You know, guys that wear goddamn underwears and baby oil. You know, I'm talking about those kind of people, the guys that look like Randy Orton and Batista. They want the whole roster. But I think Triple H came along and just wanted to change everything, and he noticed that the independent wrestling are taking over. Look at the guys who's in the WWE right now that the people are cheering. You got some guy named Tyler Black who changed his name. He's the champion right now, and he's going to be in the pay-per-view fighting Sting. Like, you need to think about that. Some guy named Tyler Black, you know, fighting Sting, you know. Then you got another guy uh, who, to me, is the most underrated wrestler, Claudio. Now he calls himself Cesar. And you know, yeah, all these guys, you know, they they from Vernavander and the IWA, the PWG, all these companies, small companies. And look at them now. Now, mark my words, Dallas, Texas, the WrestleMania, there's gonna be a full of guys that you've seen on the independent circuit. And I don't know who's in the back. I don't know who's Kevin Dunn. I don't know who's in the back because somebody is hating. Like, oh, these guys are independent wrestlers. They're horrible. You're going to see that half of those guys who did the independent wrestling is going to be a WrestleMania in Dallas, Texas. And that is the Super Bowl of wrestling. A lot of people getting signed. Rich Swan, he, he, he just got signed. He's one of the greatest high flyers in the industry. You got a gentleman named Ua Nation. I think his name um Apollo something now. Change his name. I never worked him, I never even met him, but he's awesome. So you got a lot of guys, man. They all want to deserve I mean he's just a fat guy with a T shirt and shorts. Hey man, some guys with a T shirt and shorts are over. Like I don't want to hear that. And that guy is over. Yeah, definitely. he's he's definitely he's definitely over. You know what? Let me just ask this. I was gonna get into a little bit of LAX quickly, but have you been on WWE's radar? Um, you know, or if you were, were you you know close to signing? Like, what's your status with uh, with WWE over the last couple of years? Well, a lot of people don't know this. I've already told like four or five people about this. Um, I think it was 2006 or seven, uh, 2007 or 2006. Uh, I don't even know. It was mid-2000s. Um, it and Mick Foley. I did a show at Ring of Honor, and Mick Foley came up to me. He was like, yo, Mick Man will love this because he, he said that I had the crowd in my hands, and I, I don't know what that meant. So he, he was helping me then. I went to Puerto Rico, and I remember I was wrestling Ron Killens and Conan, and Conan was telling me that he's doing this new thing, this uh, new group, and he wants to be part of it. And I was a huge um, fan of both men, and I was just thinking, man, do I go to a company that's brand new, or do I go to a company who got a sick schedule and who don't see their family? Even though the money is good and everything, but what's going to happen? So I took a gamble, TNA. So I was on the radar for the WWE. I don't know, like, right now, but as right now, I really think uh, if they are looking at me, it's more of a trainer, not a performer. 
because I'm getting a little bit older right now, and they do got a little bit of policy when it comes to age and the way, just everything, market-wise. And I told everybody, you can change my name, homicide. The WWE is not going to accept homicide, so I'm good with that. You know, but it's right now I thought about it. I was talking to my family and friends, man. I'd rather be a, a coach and go maybe to NXT and just make people, you know. I think that's going to be one of my goals in the future right now. It sucks that I want to be performing the WWE. I want to uh, have my goal is to wrestle Madison going one time or be in WrestleMania. It might won't happen, but, hey, life is crazy. You never know. Yeah, no, definitely. And you know what? I could see as a trainer, you know, you have so much to offer, and they have been loading up on the trainers that have that, you know, abundance of experience and guys that have been up and down the roads and are great hands in the ring. But what do you feel like you would offer mostly to WWE as a trainer down at NXT and getting a lot of guys that now they're bringing in some seasoned, you know, like you said, indie wrestlers. But what do you, what do you think Homicide could offer the, uh, the training crew at WWE? I think I'm going to be back what professional wrestler is supposed to be like. I know this is sports entertainment. Uh, a lot of people, it, it, it's about marketing, you know, and and I will bring the non-cookie cutter. I will bring realistic out there. People that, wow, I don't know if this is real or fake or whatever you want to say it, but not only that, like, um, in the very down low, when I train, I train like like the way Finn Philly and Steven Regal, the European wrestling, I don't do none of, none of that stuff in, in TV or in the independent because they want me to do brawling, you know. But now it's different because I'm making a comeback. I'm changing my style, like the Fit Philly style. But I've been teaching them to be aggressive, to have guts, not to quit, you know, and just be the best. And that, that that's why I'm at right now. That's what I want to do. I, like, I, I got so much knowledge. I got so much, like, ideas that I could bring into the plate. Like, I be telling people from the independent and, and certain groups, uh, promotion, this is what you got to do. Like, like you need to, like, like look at the hard camera. Don't look at the left or don't look at the right. There's a reason why. Like, the little things like that, you know, and I'm, I think I'm good. I'm very confident that I could be one of those big-time, um, you could say, scouts, agents, or whatever. You know, I'm going to be one of those guys in the future. As right now, I just want to have my last run when I heal make my comeback, and afterwards, I want to go behind the scenes. You got people like um, Joy Matthews, who's, who's Mercury. Um, he's awesome. He got brains. That guy is awesome. Jerry Noble, he's another guy. I mean, he He's very smart. If they could do it, I could do it, you know. So I think it should be a home run to my plate. Yeah, hell yeah. I definitely think you got a ton to offer, uh, especially with uh, the crews that they're starting to bring in. You would be a huge help. But let's let's talk about a little about LAX, and you were in Puerto Rico, and Conan gives you the pitch. Did you see it as the perfect scenario, and did you see it, it you know, evolving, developing to what it ended up becoming? It was one of the best groups that TNA, like we were saying before about the BDC, LAX actually was one of the best groups that TNA ever put together. Yeah. I think I think it was when he was telling the story. Ah, man, I I think this could be pretty big because he was telling me the the story. It's not about like we are racist, like a racist land group. It's not that we just sit to tell the politics, giving us the you know the the back door, being the back of the bus, and we're gonna represent people like Eddie Guerrero, Ray Mysterio, and all the great Latin wrestlers. We're letting these country boys that hey man, we here. 
you know, and that's our focus. So when he told me that, I was like, man, this is pretty awesome. But, of course, somebody from TNA put a red flag. And that person was like, well, we want two big guys. The original plan was Apollo for Puerto Rico and Hernandez. And Conan just helped me out. Like, no, you need this guy. I'm telling you, you need him. So I'm guessing that, to me, it was more of a test. Like, they told they told Conan, okay, call Hamza. Let's bring him in. And I think it was waiting if I could fail. And they could be telling Conan, I told you, we need two big guys. And I became one of their, their main guys. I remember to the day, it was December 2nd, 1995. Terry Taylor called me. He told me, we're off your contract. And that's the day I was like, wow, I finally made it. You know, and... And when Carter was telling me um, the 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 what the plans, I think it was pretty huge. And I remember the first time Apollo had a little problem in Puerto Rico when it comes to travel, so they kind of fired him. Then we had this guy named Ricky Vega, we call him Machete. They wasn't looking for that, so that's like we just bring Hernandez, and me and Hernandez we just clicked. Like I I mean I I just know him from Rinder One back in the days. So we we not like boys or nothing. But that day, it's like we work with each other. We got out, we got each other's back, and we are gonna make some money and let's try to make history. And we did. A lot of people. I told Mike Cheney. To me, Mike Cheney is the most smartest man and professional wrestler. I told him, give me a team, team who's the first ever the NWA tag team champions. The first Hispanics who are tag team champions. I thought everybody that everybody be like, wow, that is true, you know? Of course, you get people like, you know, Rick Rude and Manny Fernandez because he's Mexican, but I'm talking about two guys who's Latin and people be clueless. So I'm I'm big part of the history. I'm an NWA born, so I'm happy with that. Yeah, that's awesome. But you could tell, you could really tell that they could have done so much more and they kind of did hold the reins back because there was a couple times where things got a little hot, a little, little saucy, and TNA kind of pulled the plug a little bit. Was there anything that specifically stands out to you that they scrapped that you thought, well, hell, if we did this, this would just put us over the top? It was just, it was just more politics, you know, that you need to do this. And, of course, I was the outlaw. No, I'm not doing that, you know, that type of thing. You know, Conan had a little issue with TNA with a lawsuit, and they want they want to be be part of it. And I'm not gonna uh, fight Conan. He's the, he's my friend, and he's the one who got me a job and my goal. No way, you know. And I think they got mad about that. And they're like, okay, you're not helping us. We're gonna split you up. And they kind of split me and Hernandez up. So I. Somebody told me, I forgot who it was, but somebody told me, like, you go out there and just outperform everybody, ha- have this this, this creative, like, go out there and be yourself, but have something. Like, you like the old school wrestler, make something. So I was just joking her one day. I'm like, let me be the Brian Pillman, but of Latins. And that's what I did. And they loved it. And, of course, my big mouth, you know, keeping it where it goes wrong, happened, and I got the boot after Hogan and Bishop Kimpin. So it's more like I should be quiet. If I was quiet, then maybe uh, we could have been bigger than life. But I was just too. I was I was too much. I was just like I'm not letting nobody 
ruin our characters. And I was protected, you know. Definitely, definitely. And now, as we start to wind it down a little bit here, something I would love to know, especially with you, given that you've had so many great matches all over the world, and especially in Ring of Honor and TNA, and that is, do you have a favorite match or match that you've had in your career? Oof. I really, man. Like, somebody told me that, like, just was hanging out and told me, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I got to think back again, and I definitely give you a right answer, but as right now, no. I got so many. That I got is so many. definitely true. <laughs> That's definitely definitely true, especially thinking back at all, like, the classics you've had, but... Do you have a favorite opponent? I mean, Steve Carino is one that sticks out. It's just one, you know, one of my favorite feuds with you. But, I mean, obviously, you've wrestled Samoa Joe, Daniel Bryan, CM Punk. You've wrestled all the greats. Do you have mm-hmm. a favorite opponent? Um, I can't, I can't say, like, favorite, favorite, because, that, man, I had, like, people like CM Punk, Coco Baird, and Daniel Bryan, Steve Carino. I, I could say, like, the guy that I want to have a war, like, go out there, and I see my name next to him, and I'm like, hell yeah, it's on, and it's Samoan Joe. I see. For some reason, I don't know, like, I got no favorite. It's one of those, like, yeah, it's on. It's like a team. You know, you're in last place, and you need to win. And you keep winning, 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 and boom, you need that one more win to go to the wild card, and that would be Samoan Joe. Nice. I like that. Now, is there anybody in your career that you actually haven't been able to wrestle yet that you've always wanted to, like a dream match, if you will? Man, brother, like, that's <laughs> that's the one thing. Somebody asked me that. that I, like, I, you know, I'll be joking around. I'm one of those guys, like, oh, that's right. Like, he did that. I wrestled Steph Rollins. A lot of people don't remember that. I wrestled Dean Ambrose. He, actually, I was his last feud where we was in Dragon Gate, and he got signed. And I, and I tell people that, and I'm like, oh, that's right. Yeah, but I'm the sleeper. I, I, I'm that, oh, that's right. You did fight. I forgot. You know, I'm one of those guys. But as a dream match, man, I got none. I mean, we got some new talent coming out right now, new new blood right now. Um, Man, I just want this one more run to be successful. Like the way LEX or Hammerstone are in the bonder, and hopefully, because I do like the guys that's coming out right now of the new generation, but some of them are very spoiled. They don't know the right way to conduct themselves as a professional wrestler. So it's almost like I'm backing up, at it. and when I see it, boom, I'm going to hit it. Like right now, I was saying, like, the guy who's taking over in New York City is Chris Dickerson. You know, they got uh, Rule Boy Riley. Then you got um, a, a, another general, a tag team, E-Y-O-B, whatever the names are, uh, Angel Tees. They're part of the team, Puffles. You know, the, uh, there's so many guys out there, you know, that, okay, we got some new blood out here. Let's see what's up, you know, because I'm not even close to 40. I've been wrestling for 21 years. I got a lot of experience. A lot of people call me an old man for a reason. But don't let this old man fool you. He will still bust your ass. <laughs> I love it. Now, where do you see yourself? We actually call this the, the DDP question because, uh, you know, he, he kind of prefaced it to us, you know, back, way back when we actually interviewed him. But where do you see yourself in five years? Like, will you still be wrestling? And maybe where will you be wrestling? Man, I, 
I love the Joker, and the Joker said it the best. Like, I I got no plans. I just let it happen. That's why I'm at right now. You know, I was saying, like, I want to be this big-time agent. I want to work for the WWE or even New Japan, any big company that involves behind the scenes. But when you plan something, and you you, you, you don't want to see it. You just got to let it happen. Just be part of this passion you love. And let 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 it take you there. You know, I'm not into religious. You know what to say about let God will give it to you. Let God give it. I'm not. I'm just wake up in the morning, take my kids to school because now I got kids. You know, so I'm not a front. I like to smoke sometimes. I smoke at night. I go to sleep and let it happen. And hopefully, in five years, I become one of the best agents like Paul Heyman. Let's see what happens. I like that plan for sure, and uh, I love the Joker reference. But one question I really wanted to ask, but I don't even know if I really am allowed to ask this to you, but I don't know uh, you know, how you feel about the situation or not. But I remember years ago there was an incident with uh, you and Dan Moff, and obviously you know, he kind of left the business for a while. But are you guys, do you guys still talk anymore, or is there still heat between you guys? Oh, no, there's no heat. There was, you know, something very personal. He, I mean, when it comes to pro wrestling, I mean, you, you just don't get, you just don't want to be part of that personal stuff that every almost become a bad injury or bad death experience, you know. And then it was very bad. It was more of a depression kind of thing, what happened. And you know, like right now, be good, be good. I mean, I'm. Um, he he's doing his thing PWS. I'm I'm still doing my thing, but you know um, the one thing is that ten, twelve years we still got that respect for each other. That he knows what did for the business. And he should know because you know I did train him, but you know and I told somebody this that it's kind of cool way he's doing is almost like redemption. You know he did his crime. You know he came back. He he I, I believe that he deeply apologized apologize when he did, you know, so it's almost like I, I didn't forget, but I forgive. So we good. Gotcha. Nice. Well that's great to uh that's great to hear that. That that was a uh, that was a pretty tense situation from the outsider's uh point of view. But before I get to your plugs, and since you're such a big baseball fan and since we were riffing a little baseball before we got started here, I would love yeah. to know, being the big Yankee fan that you are what would mm-hmm. the John Sterling home run call be like for Homicide winning his next heavyweight championship? Oh, man. Oh, that's my homie, Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I want to hear. That's fantastic. Homicide has been friggin' amazing. Please tell us where we can find everything there is for Homicide. On the internet, social media, yada yada yada. Tell us where we can find you. Oh, definitely. Uh, as right now for information for anything, because I don't got nothing right now. Just my Facebook, um, D E. My real name, last name, Arazo. That's E R A Z O. It will say homicide. Um, and I'm making my comeback of wrestling November 14th. Elliot Unite, Conan Hernandez, the notorious Watson Homicide. And this is one thing I ain't told the promoters on anything, but if you're hearing this, if you're a wrestler, especially from New York City, I should challenge to any young blood out there because I want to get my, I, I want somebody to push the envelope. 
So any tag team out there, I'm issue a challenge. I also I'm gonna put this on Facebook, but you also could catch me like history, like RingOfHonorWrestling.com. You know, uh, support my boys like HouseOfGlory.com, uh, JPW.net, PWS. You know all that. Support wrestling, pro wrestling's life, and also go Yankees. Now, before we get to Scott Loss as well, we just want to throw in a few comments from Steve Carino regarding the feud with Homicide and how intense it got. From Carino's point of view, take a listen to that. Go back and download the episode if you want in the iTunes archive. You'll hear all about that in a little bit from the two-man power trip of wrestling business of the show. But first, let's throw it back to Steve Carino from a prior episode, and we'll be back and introduce Scott Lost. The feud with Homicide, and basically I was asking about real heat and saying, was it just a personality issue with you two? You two just said maybe just two different personalities that couldn't uh, click. Yeah, definitely two personalities that didn't click. And, you know, and years go by, uh, you know, he, he had taken out my ear, you know, I, you know, he had landed wrong on his shoulder, which he blamed me. You know, there, there just, there's always stuff that nitpicked along the, along the way. And, uh, you know, all these years later, you know, there's no resolution. We're, you know, we're just two guys doing the best we can to professional wrestling. Like I, I respect everything that he's done in wrestling. He's, you know, just, we're just two different personalities. But if you think about it, you would think that he would maybe pump it up that he doesn't like you, but you would think that he would really like you because you kind of put him over. I mean, you kind of put him on the map with that feud. You would think so, right? Yeah. I never got a thank you. Or, and I'm sorry about your ear. Yeah. And it's, it's all right. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, I think you were getting him booked in Japan as well. Uh, yeah, but that, that was always business. You know, it was one of those things that, you know, I had worked in the office for eight years in, in Japan, and they would tell me what foreigners they would want. And, you know, I think there was three or four times that he had come over, and, you know, dealing with him um, regarding Japan and stuff like that was always very, uh, you know, because it was very cut and dry. This is what the offer is. Where do you want to fly from? This, this is what you're, we're doing. So, you know, once that happened, you know, it was fine. But every tour, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't much talking going on. There wasn't much partying. There is a couple of pictures out where, you know, because we had mutual fa- friends, you know, Brian Kendrick and, and Loki and stuff like that. And, you know, so we would be out at a, at a restaurant or something like that, and people would take our picture. And you could just tell, like, we're on different sides of the uh, – the picture and stuff like that. Not that it was uncomfortable. It's just now speaking of your eardrum. I was at the show. It was probably the best match that I've been to ROH, and that's saying a lot because I've been to a million ROH shows, and they always put on the best shows. But for some reason, that match just really sticks out to me as one of my absolute favorites. Bitter friends, stiffer enemies. He slaps the hell out of you. Not sure why you didn't. You guys weren't the main event. I guess we'd have to ask Gabe that question. But what are your recollections of that awesome match? Um, you know, it, it was one of those things that, you know, it was an undercard match. It wasn't a, uh, it wasn't the main event. The main event that night was Loki and Danny Moff, which ended up being a disaster because Danny Moff got knocked out in the first two minutes, which, you know, I think, I think really helped, you know, the, the, the history of, uh, me and Homicide. But, you know, just going in there, I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. He didn't know what to expect. We had wrestled a couple times before and, you know what? There, there was just something in the air that night, and we you know, we pressed a little harder, got a little stiffer. Um, he had poked me in the eyes, like right below the eyes, and blacked both my eyes. Uh, 
you know, he, he had, had a cut on his ear later on. Um, if I if I remember right, when I pile drove him through the table, part of the table had cut his ear. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those things that, you know, that was, I was 2003. I remember it was Connecticut, so driving home, and I was laying down in my house, and, and my son Colby at the time was, you know, seven years old. And he just looked at me and goes, how's homicide look? I go, probably just as bad. You know, like, I, I was just, <laughs> I was beat. I was just laying on the floor. You know, my my body was mess. I couldn't hear. You know, my eyes were black. And, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a true battle. It, it was It was crazy. It's one of the best live matches that I've ever seen. If anybody out there hasn't seen it, Bitter friends, stiffer enemies, ROH. Me and my friend after the show, it's funny, we're driving home as well, and we're thinking, you know, this, this is a pretty, you know, far ride back to New Jersey, but, you know, that was a hell of a card, awesome. Carino and Homicide stole the show. And we're like, I wonder why that wasn't the main event. You know, keep, keep thinking about it going back, but uh, probably should have been. Well, yeah, I, and you know what? I don't think anybody expected Danny Moss to get knocked out in the first two minutes of that match with Loki. They had been, they had been building to Loki, Moff, and, uh, yeah, it just, it went, Ugh. And there he was, the king himself, King Carino, giving his take on his intense feud with Homicide, a feud that it's definitely, like my partner said a few minutes ago, one of the greatest feuds of the last, Jesus, I guess you could say 15, 20, 25 years. Just so intense and just, man, oh man, you just never knew what was coming next. But speaking of of not knowing what's coming next, why don't we tell you what is coming next? And that is co-founder of PWG, five-time PWG Tag Team Champion, and the man behind the Second Shift comic book series, which currently has a Kickstarter campaign going as we speak. And we would love for you to help out Scott Lost and the Second Shift. So, partner, why don't you take it from here? Tell us all about Scott Lost, and tell us all about where we can find the great information about the Second Shift Kickstarter campaign. And partner, before you wrap this up, we just want to say that today's episode is brought to you by Meowbox and Meowbox.com. And when you enter the code POWERTRIP10 into the promo code box at the checkout on Meowbox.com, you're going to get 10% off your first monthly box subscription with Meowbox. And we love Meowbox here. We love everything they've done for the show. And of course, my tag team partner and his little cat, Lucy, love Meow Box. And we just want to say, before we throw it over to the Scott Loss interview, Meow Box is going to give you 10% off. Please don't forget that. Power Trip 10 at checkout. Partner, give them the rest of the business. Give them the rest of the Meow Box and send it on over to Scott Lost. Oh, yes, Chatty Boy. This episode ain't over yet. We had the privilege to interview a great man who is now dominating the comic world and that is scott lost thank you to uh, mark kruskel for giving us another great great interview with one of his great clients really appreciate it mark and i know your birthday just passed so happy birthday to you now back to scott lost great comic book artist he's putting a, together a kickstarter campaign and not only that for the second shift on kickstarter so please uh, check that out but not only that he talked to us about some PWG, some pro wrestling gorilla, so we love that. So it was just great to talk to Scott Lawson. Sometimes with these guys, you don't know what you're going to get, and I thought what we were going to get from Scott Lawson, and it's exactly what we did. Just a fun-loving guy. It's a great chat. You know, a little bit of a comic book nerd like myself, and uh, 
His history with PWG speaks for itself, being one of the co-founders, obviously he was a tag team champion in PWG. So it's just great to get to talk with him about a myriad of wrestling topics, about the current state of wrestling, of course, about PWG, Super Dragon, Samoa Joe, and so much more. You will love it, so please check it out, and also check out scottlostcomics.com, and also check out The Second Shift on Kickstarter to see if you can help out his Kickstarter campaign. Now... Chatty boy, I gotta mention Meowbox. That's right, meowbox.com. They have a great program called the One Box Can. Everyone purchased, you will get to give a can of food donated on your behalf to a shelter cat. So that is great. That is called One Box Can. Also, with Meowbox, all edible items are made in the USA or Canada, so you know where your edible items are coming from. Also, if you don't want edible items, like my picky cat Lucy, who is the best in the business, she prefers toys and surprises, which Meowbox hooks us up with, which is awesome. So, you again, you can replace edible items with toys and surprises if you so desire. So remember, it's Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Again, folks, Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10, all caps. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Pal at Two Man Power Trip. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Please also subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Also, while you're on iTunes, check out the feed with prior episodes with good old J.R. Jim Ross, the late great Dusty Rhodes, Jake the Snake Roberts, Ted DiBiase, Nikita Koloff, WWE's Kane, WWE's Dean Ambrose. China, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Harley Race, Jesse the Body Ventura, and many, many others. So please check us out there. Also check out the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Also check us out on the I-95 Sports Network. We're live and in color every Monday night at 6 p.m. So please, that is Eastern Time. So please check us out there. That's the I-95 Sports Network. Now, without any further ado, he is the man behind Scott Lost Comics. He's a man that has a big-time Kickstarter campaign, so check it out on the second shift. He's a co-founder of PWG and a former PWG Tag Team Champion of the World. He is Scott Lost. This is a good one, folks. Please enjoy. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Well, joining us today is a comic book creator, an artist, and, of course, a former pro wrestler. And he's recently launched a Kickstarter campaign on behalf of issue number five, of his comic book series, The Second Shift. He's the co- one of the co-founders of PWG. He's also a five-time PWG tag team champion. And this is Scott Loss. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Much appreciated. Oh, it's our pleasure. So tell us a little bit about The Second Shift, possibly uh, about issues one through four, and why uh, head on over to Kickstarter again for issue number five, and how's it all going? Uh, it's going it's going all right. We're close to the halfway mark, but we're also close to halfway being done. So we need we need as much support as we can get. But uh, let me tell you about the book itself. So uh, in the first story arc, it's a five issue story arc. Uh, it starts off with you getting to know the team uh, pretty much for the first four issues. You really get to know everyone individually. It's uh, four young superheroes. It's a coming of age story. Um, but what makes the story pretty special is just their interactions with each other, 
and uh, how they deal with certain problems and the main villain himself, um, who I think is very interesting. Um, the four members of the team, the, the leader, uh, John, he has the ability to uh, make... Uh, it's, it's something like an electrical power. Uh, it's something we're going to get into the series as the series goes on. And uh, he's a team leader, but he also has... Uh, questions about his decisions in the field. So, And uh, when you question yourself in the field, it could be problematic, could be very dangerous for you, for your teammates, um, you know, people around you. And uh, we have a brother and sister team, uh, or duo on the team. Uh, they're Filipino superheroes. Uh, I'm Filipino, so I wanted to make sure that we get represented in the comic world as well. So, um, you know, there's mm-hmm. the older sister and younger brother dynamic. And so that's in play a lot in the first story arc and, and throughout the series. And um, uh, the younger brother, he's the youngest on the team. He's actually obsessed with pro wrestling and comics. So a lot of my personality is put into that character, and I think he's a, a fan favorite. And uh, the last member of the team, she is uh, a brainiac. Her name's Anne, and she has the ability to fly, but her her main asset to the team is her intelligence. So, um, okay, so those are the four members. And uh, uh, then the villain of the series. I'm sorry? No, I'm sorry. I'll continue. I was uh, listening to you. Oh, okay. And the villain of the story, he's actually uh, just kind of like a sociopath, a psychopath. He just a relentless killing machine, just kind of no rhyme or reason why he's doing it as far as the team knows. And, um, yeah, and he has the ability to... Uh, get stronger uh, off of negative energy. So he actually absorbs negative energy around him and it just strengthens him, and uh, which is problematic for the heroes when they confront him. Now talk about Kickstarter and how it's been able to help with your series so far. And uh, What do you think about the whole Kickstarter uh, campaigns and how it actually does help a lot of people who have a lot of great thoughts that just need that little bit of backing to really get brought to life? Kickstarter, it's it's an amazing thing. Uh, crowdfunding these days, you know, you have other avenues like GoFundMe or Kickstarter um, or uh, Indiegogo, I believe is the other one. And it's it's just an amazing thing. You know, if, if people believe in your product, your product gets funded. And, and uh, Kickstarter has been huge for me for the first four issues. Uh, I did a Kickstarter for issues one, and we raised enough to actually publish uh, print one and two. And then last year I did another Kickstarter for issue three, and we had enough to print issue three and four. So this one we're actually kind of, you know, putting all our chips on the table, and we wanted to get issue five and the paperback printed, which would be a collection of issues one through five. And so right now we're at um, just a little under 2,300, and so we need a total of 5,700 basically to get those books printed and in everybody's hands. Yeah. And when you read through all the goals and stuff, I mean, it's always, it's so much fun to read the incentives when you're going to, you know, contribute to a Kickstarter campaign. And I got to say some of the ones that you have on there are quite, uh, I just love the way it's worded. And that's to me, that's some of my favorite parts of reading the Kickstarter campaign, but how's that process go for you when you think about the incentives and the perks that are going to go along with it? And really, you know, I mean, it's getting a bang for your buck, but it's also being a part of the series, a part of the making of. And when you put these things together, how, how much of the fans do you keep in mind, you know, of bringing in new fans or just continuing with your, you know, your loyal audience? 
you know, you know what's interesting. Um, I'm I'm actually going through a little bit of revisions on the video. Um, when I did the first Kickstarter, I really studied other Kickstarters to see what worked, and uh, I did that with the first and the second one. And with this one, I was just so focused on creating like visual packages and stuff like that, and the rewards itself for for people. And I love I love to try to give people you know their money's worth. Like um, uh, I had a she's a friend, so it was, it was okay. I wasn't offended or anything. But uh, she was like, "Hey, I donated ten bucks to your Kickstarter, and you're selling these things for three bucks." She was like, "How come I paid you more?" And uh, I was like, well, no, you got these digital files, and then I'm like, plus, your copy was, um, uh, it was like a Kickstarter exclusive cover, and she's like, oh, okay. So I always kind of think about stuff like that when, when you know, if I, I kind of had that in mind already, I like to prepare. So when she said that, I kind of knew what to say to her, because I, I was like, you know, if I was donating this much, I would probably have that same question. So, um, you know, like you said, it, it's about being part of the process, so it's not, 100% about that, but I do like to think that, you know, like, well, you know, I would do this for that much, so I want to make sure they're getting their money's worth, you know. So for every uh, Kickstarter reward, you know, I like to think that if I did, uh, you know, like, let's say a sketch card or a bust or a, or a profile shot, it would be X amount of dollars, you know, plus the cost of the book, plus the cost of the shipping, you know, and just kind of balance it all out in that way. So um, I really have you know, like what I would want in mind. So I really try to, you know, give everyone uh, their money's worth. Yeah, totally. And it's kickstarter.com and search the second shift 2015. Just want to uh, say that right off the, the bat before we continue. But, you know, now another thing with Kickstarter that's, you know, it, it's fascinating. And that is the amount of, you know, pro wrestling related stuff on there. Now, I know your, you know, your book, like it's got the, you know, the, the characters of pro wrestling fan, but obviously your ties and your history with pro wrestling you know, tie you in here, but talk about how pro wrestling and comic books kind of meet together in the middle. And there's so many, you know, wrestlers who are comic book fans and comic book fans that are also wrestling fans. Yeah, absolutely. Those those two uh, genres, they definitely go hand in hand. I mean, growing up, I was a comic and a wrestling fan, and uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the boys in the back, they're all the same. You know, a majority of them, they're they're comic book fans as well. And you know, you go to comic book shows and you'll just see tons of people walking around with WWE shirts or or even indie shirts. So it's kind of cool to see those those two things always, you know, hand in hand. And I'm actually a part of. Uh, a panel every year at San Diego Comic-Con that talks about the relationship between uh, pro wrestling and comic books. It's, I believe it's called uh, Comics and Pro Wrestling Not-So-Strange Bedfellows. So we usually do that every year at San Diego Comic-Con, and it's me, my writer, uh, Josh Waldrop, and we have a few other people that, that rotate in and out um, every year. So, so it's a very cool panel. We talk about those types of things, and, and it's just cool to see two of my passions like so heavily entwined now obviously you know you are a pro wrestler or technically i guess you were a pro wrestler but one thing very curious of how did you actually get into the wrestling business because that's always an interesting question because everyone has you know their own unique story how did you get in yeah uh so that is an interesting story um so pretty much my entire life, I was training myself to become a comic book artist. I liked comic books since I was in fourth grade. I got introduced to my first comic. And so I kind of trained myself to, to do like a page of art a day before I was allowed to go outside and play. And um, then I became a teenager, and then I was watching tons and tons of wrestling. I was watching wrestling before, but, you know, it was like the, um, 
you know, the NWO, DX era. And so, like, just, you know, it was just the perfect time for wrestling. And I had, I had like, the urge to write a pro wrestling match um, for my tramp on my trampoline. And so I actually called one of my friends. I said, hey, would you want to do this match with me on my trampoline? And he was like, yeah, that's, that sounds cool. Let's do it. And so we did the match, and a few of our friends were there, and they were like, hey, can you write a match for me? Can you write a match for me? And so I ended up writing everybody matches, and uh, uh, we just kind of made a backyard wrestling set on the trampoline. And, and you know, we didn't do anything crazy, nothing dangerous. We were just, you know, it was like planned matches and everything. I think the craziest thing we ever did was jump off the trampoline, like, into boxes, you know, and it was just like, like a diamond cutter onto boxes. And it was nothing, nothing crazy. But, um, I ended up meeting a guy, a friend brought a friend and he wanted to be a pro wrestler and his, um, he happened to find a a UPW ultimate university flyer. So he's like, you got to come up and, and, and check this out with me. So we went up to UPW and we watched uh, some guys training, and they were guys our size, and we're like, dude, we got to do this. Like, we have to do this. We're better than these guys. And you, you know, it sounds funny, you know, like being backyarders, like on a trampoline thinking you're better than guys that are actually training. Um, but then it, me and him were the only ones out of our class that ended up doing anything outside of uh, training. Like, a lot of guys stopped or even quit, like, during training. So, so yeah, that's, that's how I got in. Now, with UPW... Who did you train under? Did you train under uh, Tom Howard? Uh, Tom Howard, Samoa Joe, a, lund- a little bit under like like Frankie Kazarian. He would always be uh, in the classes with. The, he was already you know working and everything, but like Frankie's such a professional that he was always training to keep himself in the best shape. Um, so yeah, yeah. Primarily it was Tom Howard. Initially, I started under uh, the real deal, Damian Steele. That's a blast from the SoCal past. I don't know if you guys know who that guy is. Um, but he started me off, and then uh, after a few months, Tom Howard took over, and uh, Samojo would be there from time to time to help train as well. And what was it like? Obviously, Samojo now is a huge, huge star all over the world, and now he's in SFB with NXT. But what was Samoa Joe like at that point? Joe's the same. I mean, at that point, uh, he was he was working, and he was already getting some notoriety. He was uh, becoming, you know a name on the indies, like a very, very big name on the indies. So, uh, but, you know, I've seen him years later and he's just the same dude. He's, you know, that's a lot of the wrestling characters. It's your, it's your personality turned up, you know, times 10. And so Joe, this is pretty much Joe, just like a little, slightly less intense, but he was still pretty intense too. Just, uh, you know, nice guy, but he's always about the business about, uh, you know, perfecting your craft and learning and stuff like that. So, but he was always a good teacher. Now, one thing with you that comes to mind immediately, and that is the ever-popular PWG, Pro Wrestling Gorilla, and obviously you're one of the co-founders with the legendary Super Dragon, Excalibur, Joey Ryan, the Disco Machine, and that. What was it mm-hmm. like when you guys all came together and started PWG? How did that come about? You know, that was uh, that was a, out of necessity, really. We were We were used to working about two to three times a week, and all these little feds in SoCal just started dying. You know, it was, uh, we weren't working as much, and we started working once a week. You know, if we were lucky, we would wrestle twice a weekend. And so it was it was a problem, and we wanted to work more. So we, you know, we're all in, back in those days, we're in AOL chats, and we would be like, hey, you know, what do you think of this? You know, 
like, what do you think about putting a Fed together? And like, we'll only run when the other Feds don't run, so we don't interfere with our other bookings. And uh, that way it'll give us one more place to work. And it uh, turned out we became the Fed to not try to be booked up against, you know. Like, initially we were trying to work around everybody else, and then, you know, we're just like, you know what, we don't need to worry about anyone else. They'll move their date for us, or if they don't, you know, like, we're half of their roster anyway, so they'll they'll have to work their way around it somehow. And so we just kind of all chipped in and, and made PWG, and uh, we just started, you know, we just booked the people that we would want to see on a card or we'd want to wrestle on a card. Um, and then just, you know, eventually it just became uh, all-star show. You know, it's just like every, every show there was, you know, someone that you wanted to see um, back in those days too. fly-ins were a huge deal. So if you were, you know, it was just usually SoCal guys wrestling SoCal guys. And once in a while, these other feds would bring a fly-in. And so everyone would want to wrestle the fly-in because we just wrestling, you know, getting sick of wrestling each other all the time. And, um, you know, and it made for a higher profile match. And so we just started flying guys in all the time. And, and, you know, uh, before, you know, yeah, like I said, we were just like the all-star show and the show, show to beat basically. Now, speaking of flying guys in, I believe you guys were flying him in at this point. Obviously now he's one of the biggest stars in the WB and that's Brian Danielson, AKA Daniel Bryan. But when you guys were bringing mm-hmm. him in, you know, you bring him into PWG back then, but did you see how good he was? And did you, you know, did you see him becoming one of the biggest stars basically in WWE right now? Oh yeah. Yeah. Brian's, he was uh, always fun to work. He was always easy to work with. And he was one of those guys where you go, he just has everything together. He just understands, you know, he, he gets it. And, um, that was just inevitable that he would make it and, uh, you know, at some point, and who who knew to what degree, because, you know, unfortunately, WWE, you know, in the past has not had a great track record of bringing in really talented indie guys, and they end up not working out. So, like, as good as, um, you know, you can be, they can still screw it up over there. So, but it's it's just great. It's it's fantastic to see the success that he's had, because he deserves it. He's worked hard, you know, his whole his whole career, you know, on the indies, and for him to make it there, it's it's excellent. It's tremendous for, for the indie circuit to see a guy like that make it. Now, it seems with PWG, you guys like to keep it relaxed, like to keep it cool, almost keep it funny, and you look way, yeah. way back then with, you know, keep the pee out of a pool, 88 miles an hour, you know, a lot of the back to the future. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of a running thing with us, yeah, like we, we back then, I'm um, oh, sorry to cut you off, by the way, I just, uh, we, we, uh, like I would actually kind of be in charge of skits and try to like think of skits and other people would come up with their own and stuff like that. But I would kind of try to think of things we could do for other people. It's like, Oh, this guy has this gimmick and this guy has gimmick. This would be funny if we did this. And so, you know, back in, if you look at a lot of the early PWG stuff, there was always like skits, like extras on the back on, you know, on the back end of the DVD. Cause it, they were just fun. We were just having fun with it. Yeah. I mean, definitely. And it was, pretty funny to like you know obviously a lot of the back to the future references and stuff like that but was that a conscious effort to just be different than everyone else that was just us not taking ourselves seriously i i don't um i think the well for sure the title was our i mean our our name like i think the like we were just throwing stuff around and trying to figure out what worked and you know back in those days uh, the common thing was something ending with F or something ending with W, you know, like WWF, WCW, and ECW. And then so it was always something, something W. And um, 
So I think one of our original names was almost Gorilla Pro Wrestling, GPW. And um, and then I can't even remember. It was either Super Dragon or Excalibur, uh, one of those two guys. Uh, they're like, no, let's call it a uh, pro wrestling gorilla. And I was like, oh, that, I don't know. It doesn't roll off the tongue. Like it, it feels weird to say. Like it's it doesn't feel natural. And they're all, no, no, no it's it's better. Trust me. And and I was like, all right, all right whatever, you know. And we're all kind of relaxed dudes. So I was just like, all right, whatever, whatever you guys feel like doing. And uh, so that was that was a conscious effort by by the guys to to stand out, to be different. You know, instead of going with the flow, um, that was that was the name that was chosen on purpose to be different, to stand out from everybody else. Um, as far as the show names, I think that's just because we're all kind of goofballs uh, for the most part. You know, Excalibur, um, he's really clever, and so he would think a lot of the names, think up of a lot of the names, and, and it was just uh, interesting. It was there was always something he was coming up with. Always creative, always funny with the you know with the name titles and everything else. Even obviously PWG is creative and different. Now a friend of the show, uh, Adam Pierce, the Scrap Daddy, was a big part of PWG in the beginning, as was Frankie Kazarian. But what was it like having you know like that veteran guy being uh, you know on the top of your cards, and even Frankie Kazarian being uh, a main eventer for you guys for quite a bit of time? Oh yeah, I mean they're they're SoCal you know alums, so um, I was used to having them around at shows. And so, so for me, it was one of those things where they've always been around. So I was used to that type of presence and I've heard from, uh, younger guys in SoCal recently. And they're like, you know, it'd be cool if you'd come around more and, and kind of like be around the locker room just so the guys could kind of have that veteran presence. And, you know, it's tough for me. It's like, I got a full-time gig. I'm working on the comic. I'm, you know, doing this and that and the other, but it's, you know, it, it's one of those things where if you're not really thinking about it, you pretty much take it for granted until you step away and you go, Oh, that was great to have, you know, I always kind of, I already knew about that, about with Adam. It's cause he presents himself in that way, you know, and it's just kind of like, well, you better keep your nose clean around Adam because he'll say something to you. And, and that's a good thing. Um, and so for, for guys now to maybe not have that around here, it's, it's tough, it's tough to hear. Yeah, I mean, even thinking back then, I mean, you guys had great talent like P-Boy and uh, Homicide were, you know, there quite often. And a guy that made his name pretty much in PWG and then he started getting big all around the world was Davey Richards. What did you guys think about him? Did you just see the talent immediately and, you know, gave him a big push? Uh, Actually, we brought Davey in. Davey was uh, Tony Cozina's uh, guy, and he was training him at the time, and I, actually he was wrestling around the SoCal scene, and uh, Super Dragon liked him, and we liked him. Like, I saw his work. I seen one of his first matches in so, the SoCal area, and I thought he was really good. And so, yeah, it was just kind of a, a natural thing to bring in talent, and that's what PWG really likes to do is, you know, if there's guys that are talented that no one's necessarily heard of, we like to get those guys. And so, so yeah, and Davey was one of them. And I, I've had some of my best matches with Davey. Like, my matches with Davey were always fun. And we've always had fun wrestling each other because he was just, you know, big, uh, heavily influenced by the Dynamite Kid, and I was heavily influenced by Bret Hart. So we always got a kick out of wrestling each other. And um, we were always trying to get that going. We'd always talk to Super Dragon about uh, putting us in a feud, you know, like, because we're like, our matches are always good. Come on, just please just put us in a feud together. And there was always something else going on with Davey. And, and um, so I would never, uh, you know, it wouldn't line up. It never got to line up. So we wrestled each other about a handful of times, but I think we had about three or four singles matches, and those were all really solid matches. 
feels like PWG always gets like um, the maximum amount out of all these guys, and all of a sudden they become noticed everywhere else. Like Davey, you know, obviously got noticed by Ring of Honor, and then TNA following that. And there's so many other guys like Kevin Steen and Generico. I mean, obviously got, uh, you know, I wouldn't say huge from PWG, but definitely got noticed when they were in PWG more so than when they were anywhere else before they got the mm-hmm. Ring of Honor, obviously. And then, you know, you got the Young Bucks and a guy like Kenny Omega. What is it about PWG? It's almost like um, prove yourself there, and then you become a big star. You know what? I think I think it's the I think it's the locker room, and I think it's what um, I think it's just kind of what we demand out of ourselves. And I think that other wrestlers see that 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 show up there, and they'll go, "These guys are killing themselves for this crowd," you know, and it's not a if you've ever been to, you know, Reseda, it's not a huge building. It's not a, a lot of space. You can't fit that many fans in there, but it's it's home for PWG. And and uh, wrestlers, you know, they go all out there. They kill themselves there for, for the crowd and for, for PWG itself. And I think that when guys come in, they realize that, or, you know, like watching DVDs or anything like that, you know, watching online, you'll, you'll see that. And um, I think it just translates over. So if you come in the locker room, you better be putting your 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 you know best foot forward because if you don't, you're not coming back. So you can't you can't mail it in at PWG. You you won't last long. That is true. And PWG, of course, I mean, it's still a big force. You see celebrities there now all the time. You see a lot of WWE guys showing up, like uh, Seth Rollins. There's a couple pictures of him circulating. I wouldn't say he was hiding, but he was somewhat hiding. Then the Jushin Thunder Liger was there. I think they said he wasn't with the mask, so nobody bothered him, but he was there kind of, you know, enjoying the show at one point. What is it that mm. PWG that, that, you know, that the WWE is looking at him? What, you know, what is it that Jushin Thunder Liger is, you know, hiding out watching? Or William Regal hiding out watching? Then you got Sofia Vergara. I mean, you guys are, are quite a force. For wrestlers, I think that's the obvious thing of uh, the workers working hard, you know, putting putting the, the boots on and, and, you know, actually putting that work in. So, you know, other wrestlers will come and watch it. And that's actually always been the case. Even back when we were in the sweat box, um, they, there would be WWE guys that would always come to the shows. And they'd always be in the back, and so you wouldn't really get to see them. And plus, that was always a darker uh, setting. And so they would stand in the back, and, you know, if you weren't looking for them, you wouldn't see them. And so, you know, uh, yeah, we'd always have the, the names, the WWE names coming in and, and checking checking out the shows if they were in town. Um, and the first celebrity to show up to PWG was Jillian Jacobs from uh, Community. And so it was always cool seeing her. It's like, holy crap, she's famous. Like, I watch her on TV and she's over here watching me wrestle. And um, so it's just kind of kind of a cool thing. Um, she actually bought one of my T-shirts, so that was cool. And... Uh, uh, so yeah, it, that, that type of stuff is always always interesting to see. And you know, uh, so uh, what's her name? Sophia Elvergara. Elvergara. Yeah, she. Yeah, I've seen um, you know shots of her recently at PWG. So that's cool. And someone told me about it, and I was like, oh, that's amazing. And apparently, she stayed for the whole show. It wasn't one of those things where, like, it became a minor celebrity thing to show up to PWG for a little bit and then leave at you know at an intermission and apparently she stayed for the whole show. So that was cool. So <laughs> yeah, I saw a picture of her in the crowd. It was pretty funny. I think she was your first or second row or something. It was pretty funny to see her there. It was like, wow, that's a, you know, that's a little bit of a shocker, a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool thing. Now, how involved are you still with uh, PWG? Cause obviously you retired in 2010. 
But how uh, involved are you still with CWG? Oh, I'm not. I'm still friends with all the guys, and, you know, it's not, not a – I mean, when we created the company, it wasn't one of those things where we signed anything and, like, you own – a sixth of PWG since there were six of us. And, you know, it's not like when Disco stopped or Top Gun stopped, they got their money back or anything like that. Um, it just, if anything, PWG helped the rest of us establish our names and actually uh, boost our, uh, our match price. You know, it was like, well, we can, we can ask for this much now because PWG is so big. And so in the long run, it helped us out more than anything. Um, but yeah, I'm still friends with all the guys and, and, you know, Excalibur, uh, I'll hang out with him. Um, he's a San Diego guy, so I'll hang out from him with him from time to time. And, uh, you know, Joey, I'll see him around. We have a ton of mutual friends, so we'll see him at, we'll see him at parties or something like that. Now, one guy that, you know, intrigues me more than anyone else in PWG is just because I guess cause he's almost mysterious in, in a way somewhat, but obviously one of the, one of my, my, my favorites, great, great wrestler in that. Super Dragon, who made his actually return recently and was actually wrestling, and looks to be uh, maybe making his way back in the ring more full time. I don't know if that was like a, a one shot, but it seems like he can wrestle more often. But what is it with Super Dragon? Um, he just uh, he's done with wrestling, or, or is he ready to return? Well, it seems that way. I mean, he's he was gone for years while I was working, you know, and and it was always we'd always talk to him and we'd be like, so what are you going to come back or what? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm going to start training and this and that, and, and then he'll mess his knee up or something like that, or there'll just be setbacks. And uh, yeah, when he returned, I got a bunch of messages from fans saying, hey, if he could come back, you can come back too. And you know, you never know. You should come back because he he was gone longer than you were, and he's back in the ring now. And he looks great, and you need to come back and stop him, and this and that. So it's kind of nice that there's still fans out there that would want me to come back. And um, it's cool that that he did. I mean, it's been, oh, I don't even know how long, because I've been done for five years, and he wouldn't, wasn't really wrestling a couple of years before I stopped, so seven years for him. So that's pretty impressive. And we're actually born on the exact same date, <laughs> the exact same year, this, everything. So I was just like, wow, we could not be any more different. Like, if you ever, you know, have the pleasure to meet Super Dragon, we're so different. And it's so, like, I don't, I was like, oh, the astrology stuff doesn't mean anything because me and that guy are nothing alike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's such a unique uh, individual, definitely. I mean, his wrestling style and everything else, he's just he's very different. But it was great. To yeah, yeah, yeah. That. And you know, the Battle of Los Angeles and everything else, they got rave reviews. And there's a couple up-and-comers like Zack Sabre Jr. and guys like that that are really, really making waves for PWG nowadays. But if I can go back to the end of your career, and you had, a, you mm-hmm. know, I guess a retirement match of sorts against uh, a guy you feuded with for a long time, and he's a great wrestler as well, and that's Scorpio Sky. What was your feud like with him, and what was that retirement like? Were you just ready to, you know, give it up at that point? Sky is probably the person I have the most in-ring chemistry with in, in wrestling. Um, there's there's a few guys that every time I'll have a match with them, you you know it's going to be good, and Sky's one of them. And so it was it was an obvious choice for me, uh, like who to wrestle my last match against, and and it was something, you know, I, I had to have. I, I told Super Dragon, I told the guys, I was like, look, I'm I'm stopping. Um, sorry. Car was passing by. Uh, sorry about that. Um, you, you know, I told the guys, I was like, you know, look, I'm stopping. 
Um, I want to wrestle Sky. He it has to be him. Sorry, UP, UPS truck decided to come by. Just bust a U-turn. <laughs> um, so so uh, they were like, okay, you know, when's your last match? You know, who do you want to wrestle? And then so uh, we set it up, and and you know, it was I couldn't ask for a better last match. Like I loved my last match with Sky. I've never seen it. Um, but just being in it and I just remember loving the way it went. So I'm probably never going to watch it just, just because I don't want anything tainted. Um, but yeah, my, my feud with him was, was always, always a good thing. And, and just, he's one of my favorite people, um, in life. Like, you know, we're still friends. We still talk, you know, we text, uh, we're on social media with each other. And, and so we, you know, still we'll play some basketball when I go up to LA and, uh, yeah, so it was a great last match. Now, years ago, you know, obviously before you retired, you had an opportunity to wrestle the great Muda in a tag match. I believe you were partnering with Scorpio Sky, and it was him against one of the uh, Joey. at the time. Oh, it was you and Joey Ryan. Yeah, me and Joey, me and Joey. Oh, you and Joey Ryan against uh, Kai and then the, the great Muda. What was it like wrestling against the great Muta? It was amazing. Uh, I could have retired after that. Like it would have been fine. Um, but it, it was. Uh, I got a little funny, funny story. Um, so you know, I was talking to Muda and his partner before the match, and and he would told me to go get my partner. So I said okay, and I went and I got Joey. I said, hey, Muda wants you. So Joey stopped doing whatever Joey does, and uh, so he went over there, and he like looked at Joey from head to toe. Then he looked back at me and he pointed at me. He goes, you all high spot. I said, okay. <laughs> so it was kind of funny. I don't know what he had against Joey, like, but uh, I was like, I'll take it. So uh, I got to do all of, all of the spots with, with Muda. And, and it was just amazing. Uh, he's just a great person to work with. And, and he is huge, by the way, like he is a lot bigger than he looks on TV or video or anything, like he's a pretty big dude. I was, I was like, wow, that's, yeah, it's kind of crazy. You should have probably retired right after that. I mean, great mood. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I was done. Yeah, what else? What are you gonna do after that? So. <laughs> now, do you watch wrestling today, or you know, like WWE or NXT or anything? Or are you pretty much, um, you know, you keep yourself secluded from the wrestling business? You know, I actually started watching again. And uh, I stopped mainly because I wasn't enjoying the product. I didn't like what was on TV. And every, everybody kind of seemed cookie cutter, and it was the same old stuff. And I was just like, ah, you know, this isn't for me anymore. I don't like this this product. This wasn't what engaged me into pro wrestling when I was younger. I, just, I can't get into it anymore. And uh, recently, everyone just started pushing NXT on me. They're like, you got to watch NXT. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. And I watched it. And I was like, what the hell is everybody talking about? This is just an indie show. I'm watching an indie show with really high production value. I'm like, I've been on these shows, you know? And, and I was like, so what's everybody freaking out about? And they're like, and I kind of missed the point. And the point was that it was, you know, an indie show. It's like WWE is kind of getting it now that, that pro wrestling evolves, you know, everything evolves, you know, it has to get better or it gets worse and then it dies. And, you know, you just can't stay the same all the time. So it's, it's starting to get it. And, and, uh, the, but that didn't pull me back in because, Oh, it was the match. It was, uh, uh, Generico and Claudio, um, Sami Zayn and, uh, Oh, what's Claudio's wrestler. What do they call him now? Cesaro. Oh, right. And Cesaro, yep. yeah. And, um, 
they're like, oh, it's like a three-fall match with, with them. you got to watch this match, and the match is amazing. And so I watched the match, and I was like, bah, I've seen them. I've seen their matches together on the indies, and the match was better than that, you know? And I'm like, I guess that was pretty good for WWE because they got to do a lot of stuff. And so I think that was the first step of of the indie the indie style bleeding into WWE. And so when you watch the product now, it's very indie-friendly, and uh, – uh, it was just, you know, it's it's been really good to watch. It's been fun, and I'm like, okay, this is this is really cool. I like I like that the WWE gets it now. You know, I guess Triple H having a little bit more control is uh, a good thing. He's actually bringing in, you know, indie guys and and actually letting them do what they do best. You know, and that was like Colt Cabana, for instance. Like they didn't let Colt do what he can do, and you know, and it it didn't work out. And Colt's amazing, so uh, they're actually letting Kevin. And, um, you know, Generico do their thing and uh, uh, Claudio and and it's just like the combination of the indie style mixed with the WWE style. It's working really well. Yeah, it's pretty cool because, you you know, you get Kenta, you get Prince Devitt, you get Samoa Joe, um, uh, UHA Nation is there now. I mean, so it's, it's a lot different than uh, than you would think from a WWE perspective. It's definitely almost becoming a little bit of a PWG where they're bringing in talent from all around the world. You know, they're flying, quote-unquote, flying these guys in. You know what I mean? And they're bringing in these great talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, back to you as it starts to wind it down a little bit here. Very curious when we, you know, we have uh, wrestlers on that had a, you know, a pretty long career like yourself. Do you have a favorite match or matches that you've had in your career? Was it maybe the Muda match or was it something else? Yeah, there there was a there's a handful of matches that stand out in my mind as as some of my favorite matches. Uh, let's see, the Muda match, obviously, my retirement match with Scorpio Sky. Uh, I had another match with Kenny Omega, and it was at Bola. Uh, shoot, I think it was 2009 Bola, and I remember that match um, being excellent. It went off without a hitch, and a month or two later, Kenny came up to me and he said, he's like, hey, man, I got to see our match the other month. And he goes, it was really good. I was like, yeah, man, thanks. It was fun. I liked. I had a, I had a blast. It was a good time. And he goes, no, 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 it was really good. It was like, it was a good match, not for just a tournament, but like anywhere. Like that was a really good match. And I was like, oh, thanks. And so that was a, a big deal to me, you know, because Kenny was, you know, becoming very, very popular and, and, um, you know, I loved the match. I thought the match was awesome, but I just assumed he always had great matches like that. And yeah, so that's one of my favorite matches. And uh, there, there's a couple of couple others. My let's see, I think it was my ladder match with Joey, or the match when I came back from Japan. Um, that was really really good with me and Joey. Like I remember that match. Just um, I felt faster, um, stronger, more clean since I came back from Japan. And so I felt, you know, it was a good showing for me. And uh, obviously going to Japan and uh, doing the PWG Euro trip, that was also, those were also highlights of my career. Now, is there anybody in your career that you weren't able to wrestle that you would almost want to call it like a dream match if where you could maybe come out of retirement and say, hey, I want to wrestle this guy? Yeah, Bret Hart. <laughs> so if he comes out of retirement, I'll come out of retirement. We'll do it. Um, I remember when uh, uh, early on in my career, there was a tons of tons of smaller feds. We had a, we have a fed out here in SoCal called uh, AWS, and 
the owner was pretty cool. He would actually try to bring in old WWF guys. And we went to a, a Bret Hart and Jim the Animal Nineheart signing. It was like up in Sacramento. We drove from L.A. to Sacramento to go to go meet them and get an autograph and take pictures with them. And it was kind of funny because we were working already at that point. And uh, so I met Bret Hart, and that was like the highlight of my life. And he was he was nice to me, and we took a picture, and it was all good. And then Neidhart was right there, nice, you know, all all good. And I said, hey, are are you still working? He goes, yeah. And I was like, do you have a, you know, do you have like a business card or something? Because uh, I have promoters that will want to book you. And so I think I got his his business card because I actually was trying to convince um, the promoter. The promoter actually rolled with it. He said, hey, if you can get him to agree to to wrestle, he's like, I'll book you and him versus whoever you want. So I was like, okay, Bret Hart's retired. So what? What? How else can I, you know, uh, fulfill that childhood dream? I can tag with Jim the Anvil's Hart. And so I was trying to get that going for like half of a year, and it never happened. So kind of upset, but it was uh, fun to think about. You know what's great too is uh, Brett is also a accomplished artist. So there you go. So there's another thing that you. Uh, you have in common with the hitman as well, so that's a, a kind of a, a, a shocking coincidence. Yeah, no, I, I loved that growing up, then finding out that he actually liked to draw cartoons and stuff, and uh, so I was that was always entertaining to me. I was like, well, he can draw also. I want to wrestle, and and so you know, I was, you know, Bret Hart was my one of my childhood heroes, and so I always looked up to him, and I'm so happy that when I did meet him, he wasn't a jerk. Because they always say that, you know, don't meet your don't meet your childhood heroes because uh, they're more than likely jerks and they're going to ruin it for you. And and he wasn't. He was super nice and and uh, you know, childhood heroes still intact. Yeah, his uh, his drawings are a little more abstract though. You know, they kind of have a, a, a quite an odd uh, little twinge to them. But uh, that's a different uh, episode for a different day. The Bret Hart Drawing Chronicles. But we want to bring it back <laughs> to the Kickstarter okay. campaign. And please, if you can, before we get into the final pitch, just tell us, wrestling or comics, if you had one choice at the end of the day, what would it be? Right now, comics, because I, I did the wrestling thing, and it was amazing, and I loved it. Um, but at the end of the day, drawing, I don't wake up in pain. <laughs> so that was a constant theme, uh, you know, through my 10-year career. And so that's, I, I miss a ton of stuff about wrestling. I miss the crowd. I miss doing cool moves. I miss, uh, you know, the friendships, uh, the camaraderie. I, I miss that crowd a lot. Like I love the crowd. I love, I love performing in front of people. And, um, the one thing I didn't miss was the concussions, the broken bones and, uh, just waking up in pain all the time. So, um, at this point in my life, I'll take comics. It's less painful. And, um, uh, yeah, I get, I get, just as much satisfaction from creating comics as I do having a, a really amazing match. Yeah, we usually ask, uh, you know, where where do you see yourself five years from the in-ring point of view, but let's take it from the uh, the comic book, uh, you know, uh, creator point of view. Where do you see yourself and where do you see your book in five years down the road? I would I would love to see my book at Image Comics or somewhere uh, where I could retain the rights of my, my characters. And 
you know, just have, have the book support itself in that way, not necessarily have to do the Kickstarters, only if it was like a special event or something like that. Um, but I would, I would love to see my book there and working, you know, full time as a comic book artist, you know, drawing the second shift and, uh, other, other creations that I have. And it is the second shift 2015. If you go to kickstarter.com, but please inform the audience of the two man power trip of wrestling again, where they can find it and please any place where they can follow you and support uh, you and your brand. Yeah, and make sure if you do go to kickstarter.com and search the second shift, you type in 2ND for second. Uh, don't, t- don't type out the word second. It won't pop up, I don't believe. So uh, the 2ND uh, shift and 2015. If you don't put the 2015, all three of my Kickstarters will pop up, but you know you could tell which one's uh, current. And... Uh, other other ways to find me, you can look on Twitter or Instagram at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T. And if you go to either one of those bio uh, bio sections of those pages, it has the link for the Kickstarter. So you could click that, and it'll take you right to the Kickstarter itself. And uh, Facebook.com backslash Scott Lost. Or you could go to my website, um, ScottLostComics.com. And I also do a podcast on there. Uh, just click the Boomcast, and that actually is a podcast about comic books, uh, comic book TV shows, movies, sci-fi movies, stuff like that. Anything nerd-related, uh, we do a podcast on that, so check that out, too. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Scott. This has uh, been a lot of fun.